1: Hey, Brad. Yes. Do you know how we fund the program Going Off Track?
2: I know exactly how we fund it. There's one source of income for us, and that is patreon.com slash goingofftrack, where our loving patrons give us money and we give them bonuses. Patreon? Stop
1: making up words. (laughs) It's a great place. We do a weekly Thursday night fireside chat. Brad takes all the embarrassing things I say in podcasts that he doesn't put into podcasts and puts it on the Patreon. Funny pictures of Brad in the 90s, usually naked or wearing a wristband. Please sign up. Brad, what's the address?
2: Patreon.com slash going off track.
1: Brad, Benny, Listen. Okay. We don't often get the chance to listen to be a hard hitting news organization. Oh. But today, going off track is going to be a hard hitting news organization. Okay. Okay. And it's in the vein of what we talked about. You know, New York hardcore is a big theme of this show. And just a couple days ago, there was a big concert. A couple thousand people showed up to Tompkins Square Park to see Madball, Murphy's Law. You know, obviously this is hotly contested. I didn't get into it either way because I gotta be I don't give a fuck, you know, I'm not right. personally invested. But something interesting happened as a result of this. The city of New York made an announcement or not made an announcement. Uh, NY Channel 11 found out that the parks department was told the event would have about a hundred people there. The permit application listed the event as a September 11th memorial. What? Yeah. And the description was, in quotes, a political rally with music and speakers. And so this is how they signed up and got permits (laughs) for this fucking thing. And then they had Madball and Murphy's Law show up in the park. So they told him there was going to be a hundred people there and it was a 9-11 memorial. Uh, So apparently this black and blue promotions. I don't know who runs that is now like forever banned from getting a permit in New York city. So
2: that's so brilliant. I know.
1: So apparently on top of, uh, all the, uh, you know, hubbub about this show and people being upset one way or the other. Interesting, huh?
2: I was actually sort of there. Um, oh, you were. I walked through the park because I was taking Oscar to a birthday party nearby, but I was also totally wiped out because I'd got my second COVID shot. I basically felt
1: like I had the flu
2: mm. and I would have loved to seen Jimmy. I would have loved to seen Murphy's law, at least for a couple songs, but I was like, fuck this. I can't hang out. Well,
1: I think it's fucking funny that this is now part of the story. Um, I don't know. It just adds another wrinkle. So I'm sure social media will be uh, a blast the next week with people calling each other names and uh, telling them what they should do with their lives and how they should act and dress, Um, which is that's basically what Twitter is now, right? Just like uh, Um, prepubescent people telling you how to live. (laughs) which is pretty cool i I love that they did full-on
2: gorilla fucking gorilla take over the park it's kind
1: of funny i mean like you know as anything like this there's like half disgust half half respect i don't know i don't know i don't know which one (laughs) but anyway this was a, a very important interview for me to get past even when i was talking to toby setting this up He's like, yeah, let's not get too political. And I'm like, cool, listen, I'm not Dan Rather. You know, I'm not looking to, to do that. But of course, I had to intro this episode with hard-hitting news. I only <laughs> intro with news that breaks on punknews.org. If it breaks on punk news, I'm allowed to say it on going off track, I think. That's I think, legit. Yeah, that's the rule. But this uh interview meant a lot to me, and and you know, I talk about it a little, you know, at the beginning of the episode and just I you know I could sit here and spend the next half an hour telling you the the many tales of doing H2O shows and being at H2O shows and the connections I made through that band and through that scene was extensive and one of the cool parts about doing research for this interview was going down memory lane and kind of remembering the Things that pieced it all together and how A got to B and B got to C. And, um, you know, a couple of things were really illuminating. And, you know, one finding that interview I did with Toby in 1995 <laughs> and realizing like how dumb I was. You know, I had this, <laughs> this idea that I was this really like smart, capable little kid and, and I was to a point, but I was still a really dumb 15 year old and I can't imagine. Now, as a grown man who's played thousands of shows, like there's a lot of days you could walk into like a firehouse or an Elks Lodge and see the fact that a 15 year old who doesn't know what they're doing is putting on your show for the day. You don't have anything you need, you have bad sound. And a lot of bands wouldn't be cool about that, you know? And a lot of bands wouldn't be up for it. And if one of those bands happened to come in instead of H2O, like, I don't know if I'm doing shows for the couple years after that. I don't know if it didn't go so well. Maybe I'm not putting on the elk shows. And when I piece it back, if I never did the elk shows, I'm never in Gaslit Anthem. You know, like like mm. all of these things really, like, really connected. One thing this. leads to another. It really did. And And the one thing that keeps coming back to me, especially in hearing Toby's story too, is like, these minor players in like your life that actually had like these huge, huge implications to what happened. And, you know, and I think one of the things that I'm coming away from it from is like this perpetual selflessness, perpetual thoughtfulness for other people, especially if you can understand that those people are struggling and maybe looking for something is really helpful. You know, like you think these, these passing gestures are just being kind or going a little out of your way for someone, you know, no one's seeing it. Or, you know, if you're a godless person, you go, what's the point of any of this? No one's judging me for it. So why should I even do it? But if people could only see like the invisible minutiae around every move they make and the, and the trail off of it, it would be amazing, you know, um, the only reason I got to H2O was cuz my singer decided to put on a show in my guitar player's basement when I was like 14. He booked a show a band called Strength 691 who is you know the the biggest local hardcore band in our area. They played. I met a couple of the guys from that band that night and then I booked them for my show at the firehouse. And the guitar player of that band somehow knew Toby in H2O. And I asked him, would you connect me? Would you get this band for me? And he got H2O for me. I haven't talked to this guy in at least a decade. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know what he does, if he still plays guitar, if he's working. But he had this like huge connection in my life that actually played such a huge role. And Toby talked about in this interview too, all these people that he was pen with, reaching out towards like, Shows up to New York, literally couch surfing for a couple years, and almost relying on the kindness of others and the selflessness of others to survive. And I think uh, a lot of this interview, I just stepped back, and it was a real uh, a highlight of like what's possible when you treat people that way, and sort of illuminating for my own life and what it did. You know, it's really kind of an intense uh, few days, like leading up to it. But like a nice one, a very pleasurable one. That's awesome, dude. Yeah.
2: I mean, I can hear it. And
1: Do I sound passionate?
2: (laughs) I I mean, I told Toby, I said, this is legit. Penny, this is not the first time it's come up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're one of the few bad. My H2O shirt, I never lost it. I literally had to throw it away because you just couldn't wear it anymore. It was that tattered. (laughs) It was that disgusting and tattered that you just had to let it go. So... (laughs) I wanted to say all that because the band and him and it it means a lot to me. And when I think about it now, just it could have went the other way so easily. And I know so many dickheads and bands who would have showed up to something like that and been snotty and not been this perpetually positive and stoked human being that Toby seems to be. I even wrote it to a friend this morning where I said... I've rarely talked to people as self assured as Toby. It's like he knew exactly who he was at 13 and never changed. (laughs) And there it's possible. Yeah. I mean, there is this like, like this self assuredness about how he wants to be in the world that he's been living for like 35 years or something. And it's, you know, it's a real testament to to finding something positive and being consistent with it. And I'm sure over the years, you know, that, that same thing Toby was looking for when he was a kid, he gave to other people. And that's, you know, it's the the best thing when it can come full circle like that, you know, sweet. So all that being said, why don't we get into our interview with Toby Morse? Well, thanks for having me, guys. This is cool. yeah, yeah. Stoked to have you on. Do you remember Toby? Why I named myself Tony Danza, by any chance? What from tax? Is he was that from Taxi? No, back then you mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean he is from Taxi. But do you remember our bizarre relationship with Tony Danza, Tony Danza? No, please remind <laughs> me. <laughs> so I I barely even remembered this. So all right, I think I've told you at some point when I ran into you, I have a full interview with you from like 1995 that I recorded on my dictaphone at like the Princeton arts council and actually like wrote out and laid out into a zine. The zine was called Danza fanzine and spiritual guidebook. I was trying to be (laughs) funny at the time. And I hadn't realized, I mean, I thought this whole thing was cute. I'm like, Oh, I interviewed Toby when I was like 15. How cool is that? The thing I got to bring up now is that, like, just thank you for dealing with, like, such a dumb shit and being so cool about it. Because I'm reading back some of these questions and I'm like, oh, my God, Toby was like a real person. Why was he answering this at all? And you're, and one of the questions is literally, what are your feelings on Tony Danza? And we must have had a bunch of conversations about it because your reply was, you really love Tony Danza, don't you? (laughs) And then you wrote, um, he is a tattoo that says, keep on trucking. He's diesel. He's Italian. And he's super hard, which I mean, (laughs) that's a good, good summation of Tony Danza right there. Oh, my God, dude. That was 95. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe 96, like because it was Princeton Arts Council. But it was, you know, it was super early. Let me let me review a couple other of these that are pretty funny. Okay. Towards the end, I say, I feel like an asshole doing this, but I forgot everyone's name. And then in parentheses, it says right now an angry Toby grabs the tape recorder and starts yelling in it. Okay. First off, Ben is a total fucker because I talk to him on the phone once a week, play his stupid ass shows, and he doesn't even know anyone in my band's name. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and he says rusty's on guitar todd's on guitar todd's on drums eric's on bass toby's on vocals do you even know what my name is you prick <laughs> oh my god that's yeah. fucking amazing so, how old were you then i was like 15 16 yeah something Holy like that shit. it's just filled with uh filled with the uh uh incorrect usage of the word there there's a lot of whiteout all over it. <laughs> yeah. I guess I, I probably had probably had my mom look at it. But I'm literally asking shit like, so when are you going to come see Dilemma play? You know, I'm being like the biggest like little asshole in this thing. So Dude. one thing I want to lay out like first off is like I appreciate it, man. Like, I, you know, it's hard to see yourself for what you actually are when you're like 15. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I remember from that time is like, I sort of have a romantic outlook like, oh, I was like this capable and competent, like 15 year old kid. And that's why I could do it, which is true. But I was also still 15 and also still had no idea what I was doing. And when I think of like some of the situations that I asked your band to come into, who was like a real band who was playing real shows, you not only came, but uh, I always I never felt lesser I never mm-hmm. felt small. I always felt boosted up by all of you. I always felt like I was doing something cool, and I was doing a good job. And like, I appreciate it. I really do. Like looking back on it awesome. now, with some hindsight, knowing that, like, yeah, like, sure, I was a competent kid, but I was a kid, you know. I, yeah, and uh, and you were, and I was dealing with adults. And I'm I'm happy that I ran into a bunch of people like you in particular, because you were kind of one of the first you know people people i knew in like the scene that that decided yeah. to to help me out and you know i appreciate it and like I, you know i think i th- i just wanted to tell you cuz i know you you put a lot of spirit and energy into the idea of spreading positivity and Probably, you know, yeah. you did it all the way back then, even Thank you, before man. I think that you, you thought you were going to, you know? And Toby, yeah. I got
2: to let you know that Benny is not blowing smoke because he's brought this up probably four or five times already on this podcast with other guests. Wow, <laughs> he's, you, he's propped that, you guys several times saying this exact same thing to other people. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you, man. I, 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 pre- I, know, I love that you were so
3: passionate and that, like, you really cared about the bands that played. And you were super young, but you also, like, you knew it was important for the bands, how to treat them and just everything. Even though this DIY show, you went above and beyond for bands and you were super young too, you know? And I, and I think you said that was like one of our first
1: shows was Jersey
3: was through you, right?
1: Yeah. Like literally was your first new Jersey show. Is that wow. Yeah. Like it was the Bradley gardens firehouse on Milltown road. The only reason, (laughs) the only reason it was there is because it was the only spot within walking distance of my mom's apartment. I literally walked, Back and forth from there, it was the only show that ever got allowed there because my boy Steve Lawson was skateboarding on the roof, and oh my god, yeah, and got us. Uh, you know, so that was one of one, the only show that ever happened at that location. <laughs> Why wow, wasn't like Milltown? Wasn't like what's Milltown? Was that, like the, that was the Jersey, right? Well, that show yeah. was in Bridgewater, and then okay. shortly after, a friend of mine, Kyle Rogendorf, asked you to play in a town called Middlesex, and he yes. played. Like the Middlesex, like Knights of Columbus or something. I think middle Dilemma sex straight also, edge. There was like Middlesex straight edge or something. There was something I remember. That's right. And Kyle Rogendorf yeah. is still one of the few straight edge kids around. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. One of the few. So, but also That's another amazing. memory from that Princeton show was some kid was talking shit to you at that show and made On some. On stage? No, it was off stage. Off stage. Mm-hmm. And some kid made a comment about like, oh, you're not going to be straight edge in a couple years. And you said something like, yeah, we'll fucking see about that, you know? so I may be 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 better than money or something. (laughs) You think so?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think I remember this moment. Like, I bet you this much money I will be. Yeah, that is
1: so funny, man. That's crazy. So so credit, you are still very much straight edge. Oh, yeah. (laughs) To the (laughs) point, I didn't realize you don't even like consume uh, even like caffeine or anything like that, huh? Well... Funny enough, uh, right before
3: the pandemic, I tried coffee. Like, I really tried it. Like, I had it throughout. I had a couple of times throughout my life. But, like, around when I turned 50, like, Rusty, all the guys in my band are coffee freaks. Like, every time right. we go to any country, Rusty has it planned out of what's the best coffee shop. Oh. Rusty will walk Rusty will walk like 10 miles in the middle of Germany in a fucking winter to get the best espresso whatever. <laughs> oh, wow. So they, okay. So I started taking walks with these guys and started drinking it and, and trying different coffees with them. And then when I came home, like, I felt like, you know, maybe 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 this – this it seems like so adult because – when I first time I heard about coffee is when Descendants was singing about coffee in the eighties. And I was like, dude, this is for adults. And my mom drinks Sanka. Like this is like some adult (laughs) shit. And one of my favorite bands is talking about coffee. So at that back then, it never really hit me. Like I'm not going to coffee is not for me, but fast forward to when I turned on 50, I drank it for the straight month of December. I think, in 2020 and it made me so fucking crazy like it made me so jittery <laughs> right. I, I i had the highest highs the lowest lows yeah i uh, happened to shit myself or sh- go take a shit in public <laughs> and then and then dehydrated and yeah, then take yeah. a nap and so like i realized that caffeine like a legit drug and that's the first drug i've ever fucking done is coffee and so oh,
1: shit.
3: and so i went back on the wall but now i've been off coffee since march 18th so it's been over a month I'm done with coffee. It doesn't work good with me. I'm high. I'm already hyper. I'm high on life. So, yeah, that was my first like drug I've ever done. It's kind of fucking. I mean, I drank jolt cola in the 80s. I've drank right. Coca-Cola, but <laughs> right, co- co- coffee's like another level, you know, so I try to fit in with my band and be like an adult and drink coffee like it's like an adult. You hang out. You, can't, you have a conversation at a coffee shop. Just get a coffee. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. fuck, man. I, I can't hang, dude. I tried,
1: man. <laughs> so you sort of had like a relapse almost, like a jolt cola relapse. Like another yeah. month back in. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> exactly. My wife's like, yo,
3: this is not for you. This you are already hyper. This is yeah. too much, man. You're fucking driving me
1: you drive me crazy, dude. So <laughs> So what do you do? Like, like what are your uh tools if you have like a little dip in energy?
3: Um I, I like the I like the, uh herba mate tea. You know, Mm -hmm. I I drink that it's got like natural caffeine. I love green tea, but honestly, dude, it's like, I'm, I've always been so fucking hyper. I talk super fast. My son is exactly the same, the (laughs) same kind of like, like nervous energy. I've always been like that my whole life, dude. And I think it was so easy for me at 13 years old to make that decision. Like, yo, I don't need any of this shit to like, I'm high on life. Like skateboarding was my real first drug of choice. And like after hearing minor threat and connecting to those lyrics, because I did not connect to never mind the Bullocks. I love the sex <laughs> right. business, but I didn't. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't relate to anarchy in the UK. I know the fucking sure. UK was. I loved my mom. <laughs> I didn't hate my mother. Right. So at thirteen, I was like, yo, I don't need any of this shit. And I just been like that my whole life. So I'm 51. Never tried anything
1: but coffee. So um, coffee's dead to me. Basically, that's awesome. Were you like <laughs> like is your is your mom's vibe? Super positive, super optimistic. Um, yeah, my mom, my mom is man. She is
3: a, you know, my mom's got an ill, ill Boston accent. She's very tabby. <laughs> she, she talks like tabby. You fucking yeah, I drink some beer. And just, just recently on my podcast, my mom's like, I don't know why you never just smoked a freaking joint, just one fucking joint. <laughs> but my mom, my mom is you know, my mom, yeah, my mom's super positive, super loving, super like open minded, she raised us really well, three boys on her own. And she, you know, about love and equality. And yeah, she very much is. When I mean, she's but she's also like a an East Coast ball breaker as well. Like she gives right, some tough sure. love. You know? So like yeah, my mom my brothers, super posy. Um yeah, man. And then for me I think the positive came to me, I think, you know, first hearing seven seconds and stuff like that. Like right. I loved hard, I loved hardcore music and I love punk. But some of the punk that was like destructive and anarchy and fuck your parents and very rebellious. I connected to like the hardcore, which I think is, you know, we want to, ch- let's make a change. Let's make a difference in this world. Let's, let's do something positive. Let's help the animals. Let's help the planet. So for me, hardcore is like, we're not just going to scream about it. We're going to take action about it. And so I really connected to that and seven seconds, Dag Nasty,
1: um, like huge for me, minor threat, you know, and the positive stuff, you know? It almost seems like the perfect fit. I remember like I I had gotten into vegetarianism shortly before I got into hardcore and punk and yeah. that was actually one of my attractions to hardcore and punk was like, oh, I'm like, oh, there are other people who do this. And look at these like tough looking people who are like vegetarian and talking about animal rights. Like that's cool. Exactly. Um, yeah. It seems like you had maybe the same thing where it wasn't like, you had like a super troubled disposition and found this positive music. It was more like you found the scene that was waiting for you because you already had kind of like a a positive nature about you. Yeah. I think I found, I found it a good time because
3: you know, my brothers weren't straight edge, but they got me into skateboarding and punk rock and, Obviously, when my dad died when I was three, a lot of people know that my mom was raising three boys on her own, working like three or four jobs at a time. My brothers would take me out to these punk shows. And um, I think for me, the timing was so perfect because I would look to like Milo and Ian McKay and
1: Kevin Seconds um, uh, as like father figures. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So you needed that actual like, like an actual real life guide in there in inside of the lyrics yeah t- totally and so I, I would look to
3: them as that and listening to a song by seven seconds called man enough to care about raising your your child with love and not trying to make them over macho and, and over tough and pushing sports on them and be you know right. if you guys if you, if you have a chance to listen to man enough to care off a new end like that song hit me so hard as a youngster and probably helped me become the dad i am to, i don't know like that song really connected with me because there was no hardcore band singing about right uh you know, parenting, just stuff like that sure. back then, or or not just boys' fun, and um, yeah, I really read the lyrics. I read so many lyrics back then. I was so intrigued by punk and hardcore. I just, I just, did, I you know, I, I don't know. I just was so attracted to it. I, I had such a connection with it. Obviously, my brother brought me. He listened to ACDC and Rush. <laughs> right, right. a eight tracks in the, in the house, but that, I really didn't connect with that type of music. But yeah, and like these dudes, I don't know. Even like skateboarders, Christian the Soy, Cavalier, like even the Bones Brigade, all of those. I don't know. I just it all came hand in hand with me at the right time. I think and, and it kept me on such a positive path. Like all I did was skate every day. I wanted to become a, a pro, and you know people make fun of me at school. Toby's going to take his skateboard to the prom, like just like that. I didn't. I didn't have a girlfriend. Right. I just yeah, skated. Yeah. and uh, yeah, I mean, I just it was what, it was always a it was a positive thing for me for sure. Was it kind of like I, a,
1: a square area like where you lived? Was there you know a a pretty bountiful scene of like skate and punk rock kids or were like you and your brothers kind of outliers a little we were because i first i moved from taunton mass to newport rhode island
3: right. and that's when i re- that's when i really got into punk uh i went to school with chris uh john jones his brother was chris jones he sang in verbal assault oh, and then it okay. was vicious right. circle and proletariat yeah, so those yeah. became my friends and i got to be there for the beginnings of verbal assault and that was my one of my favorite bands and start going to shows in rhode island and boston at the channel so i had like this great Amazing time there, but then my mom got a job in Southern Maryland, uh, running an apartment complex, and that was the South in the '80s. So me and my brothers right. moved there. We came there. Was no skateboarding, rednecks, Confederate flags. Yeah. We first started, you know, racism. But Rusty was the maintenance man at the apartment complex. Oh no, shit! Rusty had a straight up mullet, dude. Get Rusty was like, "Get the fuck a total, out of here!" Yeah, wow. and Rusty had like, a, and I remember the first day we met. Rusty had this little teeny Hobie skateboard, and my brother's like, "Yo, can I try that?" And my brother like did a trick and broke an hair. Russ is like, Oh man, you broke my skateboard. <laughs> and so that was and so, and that was the beginning of like our friendship with Russ. He was like a big brother, man. Like he yeah and so like, dude, two weeks later that mullet became a fucking mohawk and fucking rut <laughs> uh-huh. Rusty had gotten fired from that particular job, not from my mom, but Rusty like stole a bunch of wood from the woodshed. He made us a quarter pipe. Then we started skating, <laughs> and like Rusty had a Fiat. We cut the roof off. We wrote skate death. to put anarchy signs. It was like this punk mobile. Wow. Like we were, we were like fucking Mad Max driving through fucking Southern Maryland, <laughs> and we and, and like getting in fights with rednecks and like and we brought like this punk skateboarding thing to this town. We started meeting other people. Yeah, and, and yeah, just it's crazy, man. It's so that's where everything kind of. Then we started going to shows in DC, right. getting to see all his amazing shows. It was like a 45 minute drive. So I got the best of both before New York. I got the Rhode Island East Coast area scene, and I got to go like the DC scene before I moved to New York. Yeah. And it, was ma- it was a magi- mag- magical time, man. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, and Rusty had kind of had like a pretty crazy background before that too, right? Yeah, I mean Rusty was yeah, I mean Rusty was
3: shot with a twelve gauge shotgun. He yeah, I mean Rusty almost died. He yeah, man. Rusty had a crazy upbringing in Southern Maryland, man. I think that we met him at the perfect timing too. He right. was a lot. He was a couple years older than us, but like, you know, when we met him, it just the connection was so amazing. Sure. And yeah, y'all made that
1: I, direction a little.
3: Yeah, maybe he was like a father. I still say he's always kind of been a father figure to me my mm-hmm. whole life. When I met him, I looked up to him, and he was like our protector. You know what I mean? My mom didn't. Yeah. After my dad died, my mom had a couple boyfriends and stuff, but. You know, they were like the three boys Like we, we like, nah, this isn't the one. Like we always like were protected by my mom. Sure.
1: And, uh, and Rusty was like, he was like that dude for us, you know? Yeah. And your mom was just like pounding away, working like supportive, yeah. but, but just didn't yeah. have a lot of time. Exactly. And she trusted the thing about my mom is like, she always wanted us to be ourselves and
3: she trusted us. Like, that's the kind of thing I have with my, with my son. Like you have, you have really great communication. So there is this trust so, there's really no, you know, you really can't rebel against your parents. If your mom trusts you and knows what you're doing all the time, is not worried about you, and you have this communication, then there's this, it's a different kind of bond with your parents when they when they trust you to be out there in the world. You know what I mean? That's and interesting, you have a communication. Yeah. yeah. So, I had it with my mom, and she knew I was going to punk shows. She knew I was safe. She knew I was with my brothers. She didn't like the music or understand it, but she knew it, it was something that I wasn't going, getting fucked up. Maybe i get hurt in the pit. You know what I mean? Like, it was right, like. Right, right. And for me it was like another when I it was like another home for me, man. It was like
1: it was I don't know, man. It was wonderful. And then and then what? It so so at, at what point did uh did Outcrowd start and that that whole thing kind of came into play. Well Outcrowd was before me. You know, Outcrowd started in I'm trying to think
3: what year that started. If I moved to New York in eighty eight, Outcrowd probably started like maybe like eighty three or eighty four of Todd right. started the band with yeah. Todd Friend. And so, you know, and I wrote it for them. We did shows and uh, traveled on the East Coast with them. And uh, yeah, they they did Outcraft about 10 years before those guys both joined H2O. Right. They were doing that for a long time. They were having a good run and it was a great band and they did all kinds of great tours with Ramones and played for guys. It was so many great shows. I got to witness with them and uh, they moved to New York to try to make that happen. But then when I was looking for a new guitar player and drummer, you know, it was just the perfect timing to those guys, you
1: know, join the band. Right. Yeah, Todd had told me a story that uh, his first um, first real show without crowd was at some some giant skateboard ramp show in, in Maryland yeah. opening for Scream. Yes. And Bad Brains was supposed to play, but HR happened to be like in jail at that time. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, no. dude, you go way back. It's
3: crazy. That was Virginia. That was Cedar Crest Ramp. I was there. It's like it's a massive metal skate ramp. It's like a it's a very uh, legendary ramp. I remember that show. I was there. Yeah, it was kind of crazy.
1: Man. Like the venues that that we used to like, you know, just a skate yeah. ramp in the middle of nowhere. attracted like these very major, you know, just because. Yeah, in the woods. That shit was straight up in the woods, man. It's crazy. Because with like, you know, at that time, would the more like mainstream sorts of venues or bars in those areas, would they even like host music like that? I don't know about main... I mean, there, it, this is before,
3: like, House of Blues and Live Nation and right. all that stuff. yeah, so, yeah. It, I mean, there was, like, churches, like... Uh, yeah, like, different, like, uh, youth centers and churches and underground spots. And the Wilson Center in D.C. was a really amazing... I mean, church where they had shows all the time. Then in D.C., that Safari Club, Black Cat, 930 Club. Yeah, the, 930 Club was, like, the most established, I would say, well-known name in D.C., but it had the best hardcore punk shows. But it was still, like... It was, like, the most known and famous, I guess, club that wasn't the most underground. It was underground, but it was also, like, they had they had diverse bands there that weren't just hardcore. Right, right. You know, like, some amazing shows there, too, at 930 Club. But, like, always hardcore always has, like, the the ones at the churches or, like, the youth centers, you know, like, and the different neighborhoods. I love that whole thing about punk and hardcore, like, the different areas that would have shows, like, the most randomest places, and they'd be the best shows. Yeah, right. Like, it's just all you needed was a place, right? Exactly. A floor and like a, a couple of amps. You know what I mean? Like some, I mean, a PA, that'd be great. But like right. if,
1: there is, if there isn't, you just did it, you know? I, so, I mean, moving past there, like, you know, I, I know you've told the story about when you go to New York City a lot and you, you know, met up with Timmy Chunks and all that. Um, the thing that, that stood out in my mind with that is, you know, the really major difference of you know basically how what you did may not be possible now you know because mm-hmm. you know with the the effect of like you writing a letter like a kid in Maryland or like meeting yeah. Timmy Chunks at a show and writing a letter like if you were the same kid at 17 like now writing an email to your favorite singer like this whole you know thing might not have played out like that um
2: so yeah, how, how did
1: you, how did you actually like meet timmy and start that connection that like brought you going up to new york i went and saw um i think it was 80
3: 87 in dc i don't know if it was at the marble bar maybe but it would, i have a flyer. it was rollins band and token entry and i was a massive token entry fan i love that band and i was so psyched to see them and i went with my friends sean and a bunch of friends went up saw the show i got to meet those dudes and I don't know. I don't know what it was. And we've had a great conversation. I don't know. We hung out all day. We got photos and I just love them. And I guess our, our energy is vibe. And they just started writing letters. I got <laughs> Timmy's address and we just started writing letters. Or maybe I could be wrong. Maybe I wrote letters to him. Maybe the address was on the album. If I'm not sure if I had letters first before I met them. This was like the first time to meet them after pen paling or after. I'm not sure. But anyway, it turned out to like, yeah, I'm graduating in 1988 and I want to come to New York. And Tim was like, "Keep in touch. You can live with me if you want to come out." Like, and to him it was like, "No." And to him was yeah. like, "No big deal." Say, so, "Yeah, come live with me in Queens. All good." But for me, I was leaving my mom, my brothers, my first yeah, girlfriend, sure. my first love, my first everything, and like I was gonna just go and like get involved with music somehow. You know, even in my yearbook it says, uh, "Move to New York City, keep skating, and support New York Hardcore." That's all. That was my fucking quote <laughs> in my yearbook in eighty-eight, in 88. and. Yeah. Uh, so I pretty much, yeah, did that, and I fucking got dropped off at CBGB's at a token entry show with all my luggage. My friend Dave drove me there, and uh, I was scary, but I'd never been to CBGB's. It was fucking packed. It was all these gnarly looking dudes. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, this is. And I, had, I saw the show. The show was incredible. And then I, after the show, got in the van and went to Timmy Chunks and. Yeah, um, it was crazy. Live with him. I didn't know what I was going to do. But then Arthur Smilios, who was in Token Entry, right, got me got me a job at at Concrete Marketing. It was a uh, it was like a marketing research office on 40th Street, Manhattan. Okay, and so we we would take the train and bus there from Queens. And I was just I was the inner office coordinator, where I would like order like all like the um the post its and the erase. <laughs> I was like ordering office supplies. That was my that was my job. It was fucking. Arthur probably just got me that job looking out for me and I worked there and then I started you know doing road things like I met Anthony Cominale so I started like doing roading stuff with like Killing Time and Token Entry and then then I got a job working in Queens at this practice studio for like where Youth of Today and Bad Trip and Gorilla Biscuits practice so I I would like organize and book all the bookings there so I worked there then I started doing stuff with those guys and then Not too long after living with Timmy Chunks, his landlord said, Hey, this kid's got to go. Like, I don't think, (laughs) I don't know how it worked. So, like, I ended up moving with Arthur Smelios, and he had just left Token Entry to join Grilla Biscuits. So, I lived at his house, I lived in his room. Um, He took me in, and yeah, then I I met Sick of It All guys and started voting for them, and then moved out of Arthur's, lived in the alleyway crew house with Craig Sick of It All and Devil and these dudes. And then I moved from there to Knights Queens and lived in the Grilla Biscuit (laughs) house with me. Me, Siv, Walter Schreifels, and Alan Cage, who Quicksand. That wow. was our crib. And so, like, that's a tal- talented
1: me- household right there.
3: It's a crazy house. And then yeah. I got to sing, sing backups on the like Grill Biscuits album, which changed my life. And um, started doing shows with them. Then, sick of it all. Then, going on. It just all went. I started working at Roadrunner Records in the mailroom. Then, I worked at Concrete Marking. Sick of it all got me a job there. So, I just was totally involved in absorbing all this. Like yeah. The Rodian, the music. Behind the scenes, like working at a at a record label, and then it just, I it was just crazy. I just it was nonstop touring. Like that was like my college and traveling, so cool. going, going to South America was sick around 1991, uh, going to Japan, Europe, all these places and seeing the world, and that was incredible, dude. And then I just, I kind of realized like you know I think I want I got something to say, and I want I want to. So I started keeping a journal, writing different lyrics down, and writing things I was feeling keeping this journal for like a year or two and um and that became h2o like the song my love is real that pete wrote the riff and we started right. doing that at, at encores at like if you needed somebody to open up and uh it became it was like a joke i made stickers and named the band I was promoting the band before <laughs> yeah, anything right. came out yeah right, just right. totally pushing it uh-huh. and it was kind of like a joke it was pretty much a joke that became a reality 26 years later I'm in the same band it's bananas bro yeah <laughs> it just—I don't know, man. It's a—it's a, it's a wild ride. Man.
1: Does it kind of feel like yesterday to you, or does it feel a really long time ago at this point?
3: It's—it's it's weird. It—it uh, seems like yesterday. I know it's 26 years ago, but all the memories are still so fresh. It's, it's been such an incredible journey. Just me leaving Maryland by myself. Yeah, yeah. And, and taking a chance, and just by like like you said, writing a letter to Timmy
1: Chunks, and that was <laughs> right. like. It's just wild, man. And then, yeah, it's... Yeah, man, pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think back to and I'm like, there is something really special about like 16 to 20, your early 20s, where like for some reason those years seem so full. They seem so vibrant. It's like every memory and every flashbulb moment in those years seems so prevalent for some reason, I guess. That's just when... You know, kids are really becoming what they're going to be and things, you know, feel a different way. One of the things that strikes me when you tell me all this is, like, you know, obviously you must have been a really likable person and someone easy to be around and Mm -hmm. fun, or else, like, these people wouldn't wanted to have helped you so much, you know, if if you were just, like, a total pain in the ass or not helping or Uh, something like that. so. What kind of, like, how did you know that you were that kind of person? Like, what gave you that confidence to be like, you know what? I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to meet these people. Like, I can do this. Like, where do you think that comes <laughs> from in you? Like, that's because that's not for everyone.
3: I'm not, I don't know if I had the confidence that you think I had. Obviously, I was fucking scared shitless. I'm going to New York City. It's a massive place. I've only been there once with my Uncle Ray when I was, like, super young. Went to the Empire State Building, and I was a little kid. And yeah. New York's way different than coming from Southern Maryland, but I wasn't sure. from Southern Maryland. I lived in Newport, Rhode Island, which was a city as well, but it'd been a couple of years. And, uh, so yeah, I, I was nervous and, you know, you know, and, and New York is New York. Uh, my New York friends were a different vibe. It's, it's a real ball breaking tough love. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like <laughs> they will, they will like find your weakness and they will pick at it and prod at it and break your fucking balls. Yeah. But only they can do that to you. If anybody else right. does it, they're gonna get fucked up. That's It's right. like yeah, like they, it's it's a weird kind of it's a strange kind of tough love thing that I'd never experienced before. They took me under their wing. They they called me like the hick from Maryland. It was all kinds of shit. But I wasn't from Maryland. <laughs> right. Like like I only lived there for four I was only there for my fucking high school, it was only for four years. I wasn't from there. Yeah, but it didn't really. matter. It did, it didn't matter. That would be forever me. But And I love how uh, of people
1: I, from Queens too. Maryland is like southern georgia you know like it might Dude, as well be yeah, yeah it was a like, fucking south in the <laughs> 80s I, I never seen a confederate flag
3: in real life I've right people yeah. use say, say the and say like racist it was fucking it was scary at first you know what i mean and two until we until me rusty and my brothers found more people into punk and hardcore we had our whole like crew you know of like skaters that like skated together yeah, right, you know right um but yeah i mean my confidence yeah i was nervous and especially going to cbgb's and seeing everybody was sheep it was just like it was real, you know, and and I'm sure you I started, were
1: seeing some like violence on the periphery and stuff at that yeah. point. Too, right? Yeah, yeah, and,
3: yeah, and then like and then meeting everybody and everybody like oh, bringing me in. I was like, "Fuck, they're bringing me in," and I'm I'm just going to continue to be myself. And like, not every person I met was straight edge or vegetarian. You know that like I'm I'm going to be myself. This is who I am. And even even just meeting all these new people who I looked up to and some of my heroes and. uh, but everybody took me in, and they were very awesome. And I was just—I think they loved me because I was myself. I was hyperactive like I am now. I would breakdance. I would—I would skateboard. <laughs> right. Like and I would just—I was just being myself. I wasn't trying to be tough. I didn't come from the same backgrounds as my friends came from. I loved their music. I respected their journeys. They respected where I came from. And I feel like that's the thing about hardcore punk—is that we all come from not the perfect. Uh, home life it's not the perfect backgrounds there's a reason why we're all magnetically connected to each other in this music yeah. man there's, there's something special about it more than any type of music i mean i didn't grow up in the metal scene or any other type of scene so maybe it's like that in those scenes but for me personally i've never felt something more uh like a family mm-hmm. vibe a dysfunctional family vibe at many times <laughs> right. yeah uh, um it was just like a melting pot for everybody to just be together and it's just it's, it's so like walking the CBGBs and that sweat and that smell and all like, and that fear, it was fucking scary, but there was yeah. also something so intriguing about it. And so like you wanted to keep coming back to it. And that became like my home, like every weekend. And yeah, I was, I, I just, I think these dudes took me in. I was just myself. I wasn't trying to be like them. I wasn't trying to like, sure. like be something I wasn't like I, they knew that I wasn't, you know, we're all different. And, but I did get my balls broken. I did get like <laughs> mentally fucked with, But they had your back and they still have my back for life. So it's like it was it was special, man. And um, I've always been very outgoing, a people person, honest person, a positive person, a happy person uh, and a hyperactive person. And um, I don't know. That's
2: I got to confirm this one detail because it's killing me. So you drove up first time in New York and you get out of the car at a CB's matinee
3: yeah token entry show to meet timmy chunks that
2: was and- literally like you got off the fucking highway and uh, this is this is new york welcome to new york it's a fucking it's like the May. welcome
1: to the jungle video it's i mean just-
2: it's like, <laughs> it's so it's so i mean where else could you go from there that was your future was written
3: <laughs> no I, I know and i was 18 years i was 18 years old i just left I just left this girl, Shelly Shackley. She was my first love in high school. She was my first everything, dude. I never dated really any girls. And this is my, and I just left her, I swear to God, on a winding road, leaving her house through the woods, like a winding road, waving goodbyes on the front porch, like a fucking movie. And I drove away in this car with my friend, Dave Weisskopf. And he fucking, they dropped me off there. And I was like, holy shit. My mom was nervous. My brother still lived there. Like, I was like, the, I was the youngest one to leave like the nest. That's fucking crazy dude i don't don't even know how i did that and then yeah i know man
2: i just love that you that you went directly into the fucking
1: fray that just kills me (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty true it's like coming to america it's like (laughs) take me to queens you know like i know man you know i did i heard about something funny about the sick of it all guys like as you were talking about the fact that you know anyone from the tri-state area is obviously like this is how we show love is we break balls you know like that's yes. that's what happens but i know those dudes are particularly brutal um yes i heard about a few words that you used to have an issue with that they would always nail you on okay uh, uh i heard about parmesan cheese was tough uh, i
2: don't know why i don't know what minest-
1: <laughs> minestrone soup uh gnocchi and, and apparently zanian symbols.
3: You mean for me saying those words?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> apparently minestrone was pronounced like limestone, like minestrone.
3: Minestrone soup. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, man. And then what's the other one? what's the other? One? Parmesan?
1: I heard, yeah. Parmesan was like Parmesan or something.
3: Parmesan? I was yeah. eighteen,
1: bro. What the fuck? That's crazy, dude. <laughs> oh yeah. my
3: god! What is
1: what's the other one? Uh, I this is what I got. I got Zanian, Mindstone, Permizan, <laughs> and and apparently, however you used to pronounce gnocchi. I don't know how
3: I used to say Nioki. Uh, yeah. And what is what is the
1: symbol one? Uh, oh, Zanian. Zanian. Zil- Oh, yeah, were you, were you saying Sabians or Zildjans, <laughs> <laughs> or was it a mix of the two?
3: Probably said Sylvians or Sabians or some shit. Oh yeah. my God, dude. That is well, fucking amazing. Yeah. Those dudes are ball breakers, but it was tough love for sure.
1: <laughs> that's awesome, man. What's the deal? What's the deal with those guys? I heard about a guy named Eric on St. Mark's who y'all used to go to for haircuts to get your fades and stuff. What, what's the story with this? the, the New York hardcore guys and like real nice hair?
3: That's a good question. It all started on St. Mark's and uh, that was our barbershop, Royale Barbershop on St. Mark's. I don't know where it came from, dude. Like the slick backs and the fades and like, I was just talking to my friend on the podcast about this the other day. Like, I, I maybe, it, I don't know, man. I, I'm not, I mean, we all love social distortion. I'll tell you that. Every one of those bands okay. love Social Day. We love Mike Ness. We loved the, the West Coast vibes. I just talked about this with somebody, but also you know, slick backs is like a New York thing too. Like I don't know, but we had this barbershop, and that's where we, that's where we shot. That's where Sib shot the Wait One Minute More um, seven inch. I was in the background. That's a barbershop. Sib's getting like a straight razor shave. Oh, that right. was like our, okay, and so that was like the five dollar haircuts, punk haircuts. That's where they came from. That barbershop. And this dude Eric just loved us. We were like all these tattooed freaks. We like get a nice fade, and go to Coney Island High across the street, or yeah. he would shave all of us. If we were shaving our heads bald. We get straight razor like hot towel head shaves there and uh he thought we were a bunch of freaks it's so fucking funny because i'm 50 years old and i if any time i go back to new york i'll still go see this barber and get it signed. go, hey yeah and i'll be like, be like hey man did you ever have a beer and grow up yet and i go no dude i don't drink beer like <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't like something back then it's still me right. but like so this dude kind of so we started inviting this dude to all the shows he was like what the fuck is this this is like the craziest shit I've ever seen. And he's been all of our barbers. I've turned so many people on to him throughout my whole life to go <laughs> see him. He's got a spot on Ninth Street called Neighborhood Barbershop. But yeah, I don't know what it was with the with the slick backs and the, cause my cause dude, Todd Friend and Adam, they had like the illest hair. They had like the perfect <laughs> hair in H2O, man. Like they, they pride themselves on H2O having like the best hair game yeah. fun in, the, in the 90s. Like I, I don't know, man. I don't know where it came from, but yeah, it was like a, I don't know. like I don't know who's doing that, where we got that vibe from before. I know we didn't invent those haircuts, but, like, yeah, man. I definitely love Social D. I definitely love the whole New York. like know, We love Goodfellas. I don't fucking know where it came from. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah, it was, it's know. sharp.
1: It was, it was interesting, because, like, no scenes at the time really had, like... They weren't trying to look sharp, you know? And, like, so yeah. many guys in that scene, like, look sharp, like, ready to go out. Like, I think it was... Maybe it's one of the things that kind of made New York hardcore so, uh, so iconic, you know, how you can like go to Japan mm. and like 50 people look like Freddie Madball. And you're yeah. like, wait, why does everyone yeah. look like Freddie Madball here? Like, I don't know. Like you guys yeah. just have cool style, you know? If, yeah. Like the tank tops and the Dickies, but that was very
3: West coast too. But then like, it's true. Yeah. Then, then like with somebody who's rock chains or like with both, both the ears pierced. I remember like obviously the canvas belt and like, it was a thing like in the 80s where like everybody cut the bottoms of their shirts off and roll them up and the sleeves and roll them up. That was like very, oh, right. youth. That yeah. was, like, very youth, very youth crew. Um, yeah, New York always had this shit because also, you know, we weren't just listening to punk. We loved hip hop. Like We right. were all the clubs and the concerts and we would see so many shows. Like you could go like to CB's matinee on Sunday. Then that night go to Limelight where my wife worked or my friend was DJ in the hip hop room. We'd go see like, I don't know, the Beatnuts or go see like a hip hop. So we were like, in the 90s and late 80s, we were entrenched like in all of us. Like KRS-One kind of got me thinking about vegetarianism with my philosophy in 1988. And that's when GB came out with Start Today. So oh, I was wow. room with those dudes listening to hip-hop, but but KRS-One's like I'm vegetarian. No goat, no ham. No chicken, no turkey, no hamburger. Because to me, that's suicide self-murder. He was like the first hip-hop dude speaking that shit. And I love KRS-One and Boogie huh. our Productions. So like, we were like entrenched in like gangster, just all this shit like hip hop and hardcore. So I think a lot of the looks that all of us are rocking was inspired by all of that. You know, yeah, it wasn't yeah. just particularly punk. Um,
2: what and we what lived kind in New of York.
1: spots were you all going to? Like, what were the what were the hip hop spots? And what's like a like a highlight like a highlight uh, show you might have seen back then for hip? hop I mean,
3: we we were going to see we were going to Sheets and Pillows, which is our friends Bill Specter's club. There was hip hop shows in the Limelight. There was the Tunnel. There right. was um. I forgot some other names of the club. It's a Palladian where my wife worked as well. She got me, I got to go see Wu Tang perform "Protect Your Neck" for the first time. All of them together wow. at this at this hot ninety seven Christmas uh, show. I must um, be nuts. Yeah, and like I went to go see Ro- Eric B. and Rakim. There was a shootout before the first song. Oh, we all shit. had to run down the. We had to run down the fire escapes. It was fucking so scary. And, and I didn't even get never got to see Eric B. and Rakim to like two years ago on the anniversary, the thirtieth anniversary, but. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I got to see third base at NYU with Black Sheep, uh, Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, Jungle Brothers. Uh, fuck, man, so much! House of Pain with my friends, so they put me in their video. So I would go see a bunch of shows of House of Pain when they would come through um, Cypress
1: Hill. Wait, which it House was, of Pain video are you in?
3: I'm in Shamrocks and Shenanigans. Nice.
1: <laughs>
3: and I, I, yeah, like that was wonderful. I got to meet Tupac backstage oh, really? at the Ritz. What was that like? Tupac, dude, Tupac had no tattoos. We were backstage. We are chilling. was with Ice-T and House of Pain just performed. Tupac came back. There's a picture in this book. It's called Who Shot You? It's a famous hardcover hip-hop book. I'll send you a picture after this. And it's all photos of amazing hip-hop artists. And there's a photo on their full page. It's me and House of Pain from that show. Wow. And uh, I had no shirt on. I had my stomach rocker. I had a couple of tats. And Tupac came backstage. He's like, yo, and he fucking came up to me and he touched my stomach. He's like, Yo, you you guys are tatted the fuck up. Ah. And he gave me like a pound. And wow. I was like, oh shit. And I knew he was, I knew who he was. And I think he he had the haircut like from Juicy. He might have been filming juice then. I'm not sure what year it was. Yeah, he was it like, kind Yo, of matches are, he, up. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, You guys are tatted the fuck up, gave me like a pound, introduced himself. And it was just that moment where you're like, holy shit, like now I wish it was like phones back then to have a picture with Tupac would have been amazing. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. It would have yeah.
1: been selfie in like four seconds. Right. I know, yeah. but he had
3: no tats. It was like this awesome moment. It was the only time meeting him, but that was like a really back then. I was like, cool. It's Tupac. But throughout my life, I'm like, holy shit. I fucking met Tupac. Did he kind of had
1: like, was he one of those people who like, I mean, you've met a lot of people now through the years. Yeah. Um, you know, famous, not famous, whatever. Yeah. Is he one of those people that kind of like carried something like you could tell, like there was, something something different with this guy
3: oh yeah when he came in the room and like there was like e- it was like energy like he was right just yeah he, and he wasn't and he might have been maybe one person he was with an entourage but he was like yo what's up you guys like just the way he came right at us didn't even introduce himself yo you guys are crazy on tattoos like he was a lot of energy yeah for full life man yeah it was
1: that's awesome
3: yeah that that was a crazy moment man um looking back at the, back then i was like oh this is cool it's Tupac," but right honestly Following his career after that, I was like, "Holy shit!" Didn't realize it'd um, be
1: so iconic. Yeah,
3: yeah, like there was so many great moments, and like the KRS One being on the "Sick of It All" record, then "Sick of It All" playing with oh, KRS One, right. yeah, like that show, and yeah, like I feel, I feel like at that time, like a lot of hip hop and the and like the Onyx stuff with, with about Biohazard, uh-huh. and I, get, uh-huh. I was in that video Bionics, and like just a, a lot of hip hop and hardcore was like so close to each other back then, you know? It was just
1: yeah, yeah, a lot it's of energy like, yeah. in New York. I feel like that scene, too, you know, maybe which culminated in that, like, Judgment Night soundtrack or something. Yeah. You know, like, I feel like that scene and bands like, uh, you know, Doggy Dog. Yeah. Downset or bands like that. I I feel like they were so influential, like, really. And they don't get a lot of credit for it, you know, for kind of starting to mix that stuff.
3: Yeah, man, they they fuck. Yeah, that's a good point. They would definitely they were in the mix on that early for sure. It's like the I'm precursor a, to like bands.
1: Limp Biscuit and shit. you know, Hmm. Like, yeah,
3: and I love that. Even like Orange Nine, too, man, they had the whole right. thing, too. Yeah. That yeah, there's like, yeah, man, that's a really great point, actually. And I love all those bands, you're right, and they definitely, yeah, me too, ones doing that. But the but yeah, then the bionics thing really took it to another level, and obviously, we had anthrax public enemy back in the day which was amazing obviously run dmc aerosmith before that like bands like you know doing like mashups like
1: that but yeah man my favorite is the te- teenage fan club de la soul track off that record
3: oh yeah, yeah i need to one. go back and get get in that record because there's some really wonderful there's some great songs on there. there is man.
1: yeah it spent like some years being considered corny i think and then but if you like mm. really revisit it, like there's some pretty special stuff. I mean, there's some corny stuff on it too, but there's yeah. some, some pretty special shit as well.
3: I know, yeah. And then we got to be on this, I forgot what it's called, this compilation that Ice Cube's label put out. We got to do an Ice Cube song oh, really? on this compilation. Yeah. Years later, there was a bunch of bands on there covering like hip hop songs. We got to shoot the video meet Ice Cube. It was really cool, man. It was awesome.
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, w- I want to get in, like, take a little pivot because it's something I want to make sure I talk to you about. Um, you know, uh, I have a couple kids now, so I'm, yeah. you know, starting to uh, navigate the path of being like, you know, a punk rock father. Yeah. Um, and it seems like something you're you're pretty good at, you know, from all intents purposes, and you know, yeah. at least have a good relationship with your son and a tight knit family. Like, how how do you balance like? teaching punk, teaching hardcore, teaching independent thinking without, like, leading them down the wrong path. Because I know, mm. you know, in your experience, I'm sure you've seen a lot of people do the same things both of us did, which are fully immersed into this scene and not really come out the other side. You know, a lot of people didn't yeah. make it through and a lot of people weren't successful. Um so like how do you balance like being a father teaching like I said like independent thought and kind of a punk rock spirit but also keeping it close enough that that it's like safe you know Yeah I mean I mean for me I've never really
3: like had had like taught my son anything I just try to lead by example and I feel like first and foremost as a parent your job is to be the role model for your children Because Mm -hmm. if you're not one, they're going to find it with somebody else who may not be positive. (laughs) We'll find it through other things. And so, and so it's like, for me, I didn't really have a role model growing up because my dad had passed and because my mom was just raising. us. so I looked through, through hardcore music for the guidance. And so a lot of, a lot of the morals and the beliefs I got from that, I can instill in my son and just be who I am as a dad who's never tried drugs or alcohol or ate Mm -hmm. animals since 1988 and a positive person and try to do my best, uh, as a human on this planet to help make a difference the best I can and not be hard on myself and still, and still, um, uh, be myself through all of it. My son mm-hmm. has just learned from me, like taking my son on tour since he was three years old, my son went to Japan twice before he was seven years old and wow. been South America and Russia and around this whole fucking planet. The only being able to be able to do that through what I've built in my band and punk rock, I'm so fucking grateful because that's exactly what happened to me when mm. I moved to New York at 18 years old. And I had, I had no real direction and I was embraced by these people. And they took me everywhere, took me out of, the, out of fucking America for the first time and showed me the world. And so just by me doing that and just showing my not, not, not telling my son stuff, just showing right. him stuff mm. and all, and all the uncles, my son's been around his whole entire life. from like, Mackie's showing him drum shit at like fucking three years old. (laughs) Travis Travis Bark is showing shit when he's like four years old. Just the surrounding people, and I surround myself with positive, inspirational people. I'm trying to stay away from any negativity. I do live in my PMA bubble. But my son, you know, he's never had meat. If he wants to have meat, he's fucking 18 years old. Even before he was 18, it's his choice to choose what he wants to eat. If my son wants to try drugs or alcohol and he goes out on his own, he can try. He's 18 years old. But he has never tried anything. He's exactly hmm. like me. And he prides himself on that. I never say, be like me, be like me. He saw that I didn't need any of this shit to do what I've done in my life. And so by that, I'm so fucking proud. And like, I saw something my son posted a couple months ago, like on his IG story. He's like, the, where they do ask me anything you want to ask me. It's questions. Yeah. And some, somebody's, somebody's like, yo, do you do a jewel? He's like, now nah, I'm straight edge. And I almost started crying because he's never uh, said that to me. He's uh, never said I'm straight edge like you, Dad, or right, um, and he right. told me he told me so. He's like, I'm never gonna try meat. I know where it comes from. My son's been to like my son's been to these pig vigils. we go, we and we feed these pigs before they're slaughtered. My son's been to marches with me, my son's been uh, everywhere on his choice. I don't drag him to anything. My son doesn't really like hardcore punk. He fucking loves death metal and hip hop. Like, oh really? he, he, yeah. he likes so he likes certain hardcore bands, but it's only because he's seen them a million times on tour with me. Like, sure, he, sure. Loves fit. he loves Fit for an Autopsy. He loves Lamb of God. He loves Slipknot. <laughs> yeah, he loves yeah. all this music that I never really listened to. And he's opened my mind to that type of shit. And it reminds me of myself because I found my own music as a kid, in a sense, to where I connected to. And, and I was like, my son's been raised on punk and hip-hop and, and blues and rockabilly and all this shit in my house. But he found his own shit. Yeah, so it's like... Right. And so it's like, my thing is like, lead by example, never preach to my son. Just like I don't preach to anyone. I've never been a preachy person. I, I call myself teachy, not preachy. I want to educate. And like, when people say, oh, you look young. How is it? Well, I haven't, I haven't did this. I haven't did that. I exercise. I'm 51. This is why you may think I look young. I take care of myself. But I'm not like, you should be like me. You should do this. I've yeah, never been right. like that. We have the most fucking open communication from day one with my son. We trust him 100%. We talk all the fucking time about everything. Like, I, I never had that. And I wanted to give my son everything I didn't have. And I think as a parent, your number one shit is communication. You have to have the trust. You have to have your kids not afraid to tell you anything, dude. Because right, right. kids kids nowadays aren't just getting bullied at fucking home. They're getting bullied on their phones 24-7 sure, in sure. their own fucking bedrooms. And yeah, so, and, they don't, right. and they, they, don't, they don't say anything about it until it's fucking too late. Or the kids snap, or have a breakdown, or depression, uh, or, or they go to, or they go to true. drugs. Yeah. So my my main thing is communication, education. We talk about everything. Watch documentaries and like. But I've never been like once. Like you got to be like me, Max. You got to be straight. You got to be right. in a band. My son's in this crazy band called Rend. And they sound like Mr. Bungle meets Tool. And it's this yes. crazy, creative, amazing music. My son's like, you ever heard of Mr. Bungle? You ever heard of Mastodon? You ever heard of... I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah. he's trying to t- trying to teach me about shit now.
1: Yeah, but yeah. He's so been ne- surrounded So next by- H2O record's going to be in like 6-8 like timing. That's what he does, bro. Yeah, like, yeah. Like I'm sure crazy. with that group, yeah. Yeah,
3: so like... I'm going to send you some shit. And you're going to trip out. And like some parts sound like quicksand. He's like, who the fuck's quicksand? So I turned his band on to quicksand. Like, we, so it's like every day. I'm like, like, like he loves, he loves Hazen street. This band that was, he loves H2O. He loves mad ball. Those are about the three. I'm sure he's a
1: sick fucking drummer. I mean, I'm almost jealous. I'm 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 I still haven't met Mackie. Mackie's, <laughs> Mackie's sh- one of my fucking heroes. I never met yeah. him. I'm like, Dude, Mackie's he's, like the best. Hey, he's like, he's like, seven know. you know hanging out with getting lessons from mackie you know like it's it's good that's good
3: i mean he's very lucky he's been surrounded
1: by i
3: love i love the east coast uncles max have because it's straight to the point they break they break his balls as well sure you know? yeah. it, no one's like, safe yeah. so i feel like my son is i'm very lucky to still be playing music and and to have those perks where i can't take my son to europe or around the world and because of that He's become a very open-minded, well-rounded human. Let alone what what his parents are and how we raised him. Right. And he's been out there to be in the world. And I'm so proud of how he's what he's turning into now. He's modeling. He's working a full-time job. He surfs. He skates. He does okay. everything. And he's still like has never. It's the only one. He's the only friend out of his crew that hasn't tried any drugs or alcohol. They uh-huh. fucking love him. And it reminds me of myself when I was that age, going uh-huh. through all the semi-peer pressure in high school. And people are just loving you for who you are. You're the hyperactive breakdancing skateboard kid that didn't need any of that. And so my son's on that path. And one day he might try something. And one day he might.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask that. Are you like, are you like mentally prepared for that? Like, like mentally prepared for the call being like, oh, I just had a joint and a hamburger. I feel weird without like, (laughs) without like showing any disappointment. Like, I mean. Yeah, I'm probably going to be fucking I'm probably
3: going to be I'm probably gonna be like oh shit, but I'm not, I'm going to be happy that he he was I don't know like he 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 knows the effects of all of it yeah, what it right. does to your body, what it does to the planet. But my son is so he's not militant, but like he's so like not about that life. Like he he
1: So you'd be surprised, yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't even
3: need he doesn't even need the fake meat. He wouldn't need oh, possible wow. beyond. He thinks it's too real. He doesn't even fuck with that. Oh, because
1: that's a, Yeah, that's a Californian yeah, cause, cause, kid right there.
3: Yeah, because he's never had that before. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, but yeah, I mean, you gotta be role models for your children, dude. You have to have that communication because you want that bond to be forever. Some kids are like, fuck this, I'm moving out and never talking to my parents again. Yeah, you don't yeah. want that. You no. want to be part of the, you wanna be part of that whole journey and have sure. that trust and that connection. And I'm so proud of my fucking tight family's bond. It was such a tight unit. And like, I, I don't know. I just feel like I'm not perfect. I'm not the best dad, but I do the best I can would have because I don't have these experience where I can text my dad and say, Hey, I need some advice, dad. Or right. like, I never, I never went to a ball again with my dad or taught me how to fish or went on a, went hiking, went camping. I didn't have any of that. Not that like, Oh, the woe is me, but I, I can only instill and raise my son on what I've been through and what I've learned. Because being a parent, it changes every fucking day. There's like so many different chapters of their life. And it's the most oh, yeah. amazing journey from like when you like, oh my God, I can't wait till they talk. I can't wait till they're walking. Now you're like, fuck I can't wait till we shut the fuck up and slows down. You know, like these different <laughs> right. there's these different parts about being a, a parent that's so incredible. And like yeah, now my son's eighteen, it's like, holy fuck, he's a fucking adult. And like watching his next moves and helping him guide him and whatever he needs for that. And like and I know he's he's an ill musician musician he wants to play music and he wants to do he wants to do so many things i'm like dude you can do them all you can work this job you can do the modeling you can do you can play do your band you can do everything is focused on it you know what i mean like so i'm really fucking proud and like yeah it's 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 very amazing being a dad it changed my fucking life forever i'm the most emotional fucking human i can barely watch (laughs) any movies without crying i was always an emo person but, like, when you start watching these, like, dad commercials and all this shit, yeah. ev- ev- every single person becomes a parent. It's the next day, you're fucking completely emo. Like, everything makes you cry. It's like you see the yeah. world in a totally different fucking perspective. You know, you, you don't see it just through your you eyes. It you it, like, it's crazy how, like, being a parent is it's such an amazing, stressful, happy, wonderful, highs and lows journey. Yeah. And um, so I just instill all, everything I've learned, my love, my compassion everything into my son, but not in like trying to mold him or tell him how to be. He just sees how I am. He sees how I am with my friends. He sees how I am with my band, how I am with his mother, how I am in my friendships, how I am in, in everything I do with uh, my mom, my with my, my partner, just everything. He's just, he absorbs it all. And hopefully that when he goes out into the world and hopefully he'll take that stuff with him. And I'm, I'm, I have no doubt in my mind that my son is not going to do great things He's a. He looks you in the eye and he talks to you. He listens to you. He's compassionate. He's a gentleman. And I, I, I'm just super proud. That. And I feel like I got all that shit through punk rock and music at a very... Everything, all that in my journey all comes back to music, man. And um, yeah, you got me hyped right now. Sorry, I'm just talking. No,
1: I fucking love it. It's so beautiful. It's, you know, half the people you talk to are like, yeah, oh, I'm tired, you know? So it's nice to hear like a real nice positive reflection on parenthood i I actually really appreciate tired of course you're tired but it's a good time
3: yeah because yeah it's amazing tired it's better than
1: like 14 hours in a van tired like
3: Yeah, yeah like we're fucking like we're it's a blessing so many people you know i don't know i just feel like you were very lucky to be parents man some sure. parents don't approve. some parents don't want to be parents or aren't good parents and stuff like that. It's like, yo, if you're gonna make a kid be prepared to fucking raise that kid from the second you walk out of the hospital, you're with that kid the rest of his fucking life, dude. You gotta be part of that, man. It's like
1: Yeah. yeah. You
3: created you created a fucking another human being. It's fucking right. bananas, bro. It's your
1: responsibility. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's crazy uh. it's crazy seeing your wife like in those 24 hours however long she's in labor, go from being your wife or your girlfriend. So yeah. the next day, her maternal instincts kick in. All of a sudden, she's breastfeeding for the first time. She's yeah. a fucking mom. You're fucking crying, looking at this fucking child. They hand it to you, walk out, it's <laughs> fucking human. Good luck. Like, sure. it's just crazy how, like, your life changes in that 24 hours. It's fucking magical, man. It's yeah,
1: things get so, so real. vividly and obviously bigger than you. You know, like, yeah. I think it gives you that opportunity to just know that there's something else at work. That you'll mm-hmm. never understand. It's like yeah. you know, you got to just put your 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 head into it as much you can. I mean, so you you've taken on to the the public speaking and doing stuff like that, and you know, between being a, a father and doing the public speaking, where I know a lot of people, uh, you know, profess to you their own stories and their own troubles. I'd assume it's at a point where when you tour. You've been such an iconic figure in hardcore for so long that you must go backstages and people probably give you some pretty fucking crazy stories. I wonder, like, how heavy is it for you to like take on so many of those people's stories and take on so much grief and give empathy? Does it become difficult for you to like find enough space for your own life and troubles at that point?
3: That's a great point. Like, I, I pretty much. I pretty much answer every message I get on my social media every single day. Right. And I get a lot of, I get a lot of messages and some of them are long. Some of them are advice. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not your teacher. I'm not your parent, not your counselor. I, I, I give them answers the best I can for the experiences I've been through because I'm not perfect as well. And I, I myself could use some therapy about my dad passing, you know? Right. And it's like, yeah. so I, I can only give them the best advice I can give them that, that works for me. Which I always go to: health, exercise, listening to music that lifts you up, being around good, positive people that lift you up, staying away from negative people that drag you down. You know, and like, and I haven't been through addiction. I haven't been through any of that stuff, so it's hard for me to give advice about people going through that because I never even tried any of that stuff or right. experienced it. You know, for me, my my um, my whole, I guess my whole point was when I speak at schools is I'm, I'm prevention not intervention. Like I'm trying to like speak. Here's my story, what I've been through. This is what I've done without doing any drug, drug, alcohol. These are my friends who passed away from doing it. These are my experiences being around it. And here's how I am and how I live my life. So that that was my whole approach to the One Life on Chance. And speaking at schools was, was just try and let these people hear my story through my PowerPoint of, of where I, how how my journey has been without having to do that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I just, and I do answer people and people come up to you and they tell me these stories and I give them, my, I I don't know why, I just, I take it all in and I, and I, Think about it. And I give them answers, and sometimes, like, I do the best I can. And like, people know I just sing in a hardcore band. Dude, I'm not fucking. You know, I didn't go to college. I'm not. I, I barely graduated. Like, I'm not. Right. You know what I mean? I, I, I've I've only had life experiences. You know, and my life all, is different. It all than, sounds so
1: emotionally like exhausting. I think that's like mm. what I'm wondering about. Is like, is like, do you ever just hit a point? You know, where you talk to a bunch of kids. You know, outside of a show, and yeah. they answered a bunch of things, and you're like, fuck, like. I just can 't take anyone else's grief like anymore yeah, for like a little uh, while yeah i've
3: had some emotional breakdowns like I've, I, I've, been a, I've had emotional breakdowns talking to students after I spoke to a couple thousand people at a big school, and then they weren't the ones raising their hand because they were nervous and they'd come back to me after hey, I don't want to raise my hand because I 'm embarrassed, and they' tell me their story and I get I get, emotion, I get emotional right then answering them because I 'm a very emotional person yeah. so if i've had crazy conversations with kids and and adults and people. in in, in real life at shows or at a school or through DMS or through fucking crazy emails. And like, I, I, I feel like it's my job to respond, whether I have the best,
2: whether,
3: whether I think, whether I'm insecure to think I might not even help. I at least got to respond. If they're reaching out to me on on some like private shit or like a one-on-one shit, I have to respond. It's my duty, man. Sometimes it's really fucking hard. And sometimes I'll talk to somebody for hours through DMS yeah. throughout oh, my wife. So yeah, I'm still t- like trying to help you. We got, but I'm, um, but I, uh, but I'm not perfect myself, but I think they, people can relate. I, I don't, I don't know that I'm actually helping, but I, I feel like I do my best to respond to them. And yeah, it is fucking draining. Uh, I do get mentally drained from it, but I feel like I've put myself out there in the public through social media, through everything, through my music, through my lyrics, through my public speaking, through my relationships. I've worn my heart on my sleeve. I've sang about my life my family, my my dad, everything. And I put myself out there and I feel like people people, people connect to it in different ways. And so it's like, I, I've, I've opened my heart to people. And so people feel like they can reach out to me and I feel like I should respond. And it's my duty as a human to respond because yeah. I'm trying to make a difference and I'm trying to share my experiences to help inspire people or, or stories they could connect to. So it's like, and that now they want to tell me their story. I have to, I want to listen to it. Do you think because you they,
1: feel that sense of responsibility because of like your own experience? Like it's some version of, uh, kind of paying it forward and in the way that, you know, people were open to you and 100, you know, like, 100. like without 100. those opportunities, who knows, like, do you kind of see? some young version of yourself when you're answering like these messages? 100% fucking mm-hmm.
3: writing letters to like different like bands right. or like writing letters to token entry or fucking reading these lyrics and like worshiping these dudes in these bands. Like they were my dad, which I never met them Yeah, and their songs connecting me in such a positive way. Yeah. It'd make me cry, cry. I could cry, right? I could hang up this fucking thing, go listen to man up to care and get super emo. Now and I heard oh, yeah. it a thousand times. I and, can like, listen those...
1: to an H2O song and go cry. <laughs> I mean. thank you
3: man but like there's a there's a connection there and like and so i, I get the power of music and how people connect these lyrics so i don't yeah. think about it as like oh this. that but i do know how i i, I wrote letters to people and was connected to people I, I, I all my letters i ever received and my wife has in my garage from the day one i spent it i responded to every letter handwritten my wow. whole fucking life so Every cool. single one, dude, because people did that to me, man, and yeah. that shit goes a fucking long way, and, sure and, and it meant it meant a lot to me. And so it's like, I, I I I just love talking to people, and I'm a people person. I've always been like that. And if somebody wants to send me something, I'll say, "Hey, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a doctor. But here's here's it. Here's how I I deal with negative things or tragedy. You know what I mean? Or losing a friend sure. or friends who died of overdose. And I just I, I just keep it myself and and so yeah it's yeah it does get mentally draining but at the same time it's like I don't know I mean I I, I just I put myself out there man so yeah. I don't put myself out there like I'm a counselor or I'm a doctor right, 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 like, right. this sure. is me I, I post about going through depression I post about not being perfect I post about all my feelings all the time I, I yeah. put myself out there 100% that is fucking me what you see online and so people connect and they can relate and I get that because I relate to people as well as, to this day I still look up to people who
1: have become oh, my friends, even though yeah. they were they're my friends, they're my still my heroes. So Sure. I think people really notice that generosity of time. I mean, I even think back, I for some reason I used to call when I was like fourteen or fifteen getting into I used to call the local promoters, like the guy who ran the shows at Middlesex County College, the guy who ran the shows at Princeton Arts Council. Yeah. And I just call and talk. You know, yeah. I had nothing to say. I was probably telling yeah. them about fucking school, skateboarding, like God knows what I was <laughs> telling these grown men about. But yeah, I, like like the same as you. I, I I never framed it like that until you just saw it. But like so many of these singers and people in the scene who were replacing some image of like a father figure to me, like which is wild to think about. Yeah, yeah, um,
3: and it's and it's and, but it's like this music is so special. You couldn't you couldn't like. Write a letter to fucking Steven Tyler and say, Yo, here's oh, right. my story, yeah. right? And, I, right, right, I, and then right. I hope to meet you backstage, and we're gonna hug sure. and really talk about it. That's what's so special about Harker because everybody was approachable. I can yes. watch Milo fucking play a show at 14 years old, and I'm so psyched to see him after the show. He's at the merch booth. I shake his hand. Oh my god, I love your band. That's right. that's something so special. Like everybody's approachable. We're all fucking equal, and we all come from the same kind of background in life, story, and that's why we're together. We're the mis like. It doesn't matter how old we are, man. Like we connected, you were young, but I was older, but we connected through this music and we're still yeah. friends. And that that's fucking something so special that so powerful from this music, man. It's,
1: it's beautiful, dude. It's like the I Island know. of Misfit Toys, right? Yeah, yeah. totally. All right. So it's let's crazy. get off the couch, Toby. Let's get off the couch for a minute and have some fun okay okay so does get off the couch mean we're
3: done with therapy yeah <laughs> oh <my God.
1: laughs> for both of us um, okay going off track often winds up on the couch it's mostly because of me i'm yeah. very emotional too toby um okay so this is a section called mystery friend okay Everybody. where I reach back and find one of your old friends who fills me in with some kind of funny story. Okay. I'd like you to expand on the story a little bit and then guess which friend told me. Oh my Um, God, let's do it. These friends didn't get the game too much. So I think you're going to guess the friends pretty quick, but I'd still want to hear the stories. Um, Okay. Okay. This one told me to this day, whenever I go on a trip or vacation, I obsessively reorganize my bag every day because Toby did that <laughs> when we were on tour together and it rubbed off on me. Every day he would tap me on the shoulder, be like, kid, let's reorganize our bags.
3: <laughs> That's either Craig Cintari uh, or Peter Lou. It has to be someone who was thinking of it all, man. It's an it even deeper be.
1: cut. An even deeper cut. You got to go back to Jersey. Oh, my God. This thing. It's not Todd Friend. It's close. you getting closer. It's not Rusty Pistachio. You got to go Eric back to Saddlewood Court. Oh, my God. Jersey City, Todd
3: Friend, Eric Rice, um, who the fuck else sit there? A Rusty ah, uh, Who the fuck? I, am All right, I I'll somebody? give you
1: another hint that'll definitely... Jerry definitely, Waldron! Yeah, Jerry Waldron. There it is. <laughs> 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 that's, it, that's it. This is your life. Yeah. So I talked to Jerry. He told me about that. He also said that when we live together... And I'd like to note this. Was H2O formed while you were living in New Jersey, by the way? What year would
3: that be? Uh, I mean, 92
1: you were in Jersey City? A little later. I was
3: was, was ready for sick of it all because my first H2O show was 94.
1: Oh, because I was about to get scandalous on this show. H2O, (laughs) New York hardcore, formed in New Jersey. I was going to put a flag in that. But anyway, Jerry told me that apparently when you live together, you would turn the phone off. During Beverly Hills 90210, as to not be disturbed, and then when he moved back to Cranford, you guys would call each other during the commercials to talk about what was happening on 90210.
3: Hundred percent, hundred percent.
1: That show is a that big is, deal. That is so big true. deal for you.
3: 90210. Yeah, we made those H2O shorts. H2O, H2O, 90. H2020. Oh, right. like yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we love that show. Oh my God. You're so fucking funny, man. <laughs> we love NATO Two and that it was a great show.
1: And what's up with the bag reorg? Do you still do that on tour? Do you reorganize your bag <laughs> yeah, every day? I am.
3: I'm super anal about all my shit. Yes, I am. All my so, shit folded, organized, take it out, put in the hotel drawers or get, get, yeah, dude.
1: So you, every time you get to a hotel, you you unload your bag into the drawers?
3: Oh, I, well, I unpack it. Wow.
1: <laughs> that's impressive yeah, that's really impressive
3: and, and i'm super able about like if i have like 22 shows in europe i have 22 22 t-shirts 22 underwear 22 socks i don't yes. wear the same thing twice i don't wear the same shirt every night i, don't, I can't do it i'm a total what's your clean freak uh,
1: let me ask this question say you have because you seem to have this pretty mapped out say you have a 22 day tour are you bringing 22 days' worth of clothes, or are you counting for a laundry day?
3: I don't do laundry days.
1: No laundry days. So you have 22. I, you're ready to go.
3: Everything ready is carry Big, dirty thing back
1: home. I'm a psycho. I don't... Wow. I, I,
3: you know why? I don't I, think I, I own doing,
1: 20 pieces of underwear. I, I couldn't do dude,
3: it. I love doing my own laundry. I don't trust <laughs> other types, types of detergents. I don't know. I'm in a different country. <laughs> I, I, fun, I can't... I, I, I just super am about folding any of my softener sheets. I've been married 25 years. So my wife's done laundry twice or three times. For wow. our whole marriage.
1: Oh, so you are the laundry person in the house. Yes. Wow. That's so I nice. That's I awesome.
3: My wife tried doing it once and she used this shit called Rinseo from the 99 cent store. And I came home and she was like, I love Lucy in the kitchen. And all the foam was coming out <laughs> all, over <the> fucking, <laughs> all over the fucking room, dude. So you banned her. She's banned. She's, she's, She
1: canceled from fucking laundry. Yeah. I love that. All right. Well, that was really funny, but the the second mystery friend, I'm not even going to try to mystery friend because Todd friend, uh, would you would just know like right when I told the story, but he told me a funny story on how you were on tour with shelter in 1996, playing a show in California. You've been out for a few weeks and he says that out of nowhere, you were like, oh, guys, guess what? Tomorrow I'm going to Tombstone, Arizona to get married. That's true. And apparently true. nobody on the tour knew. But then, <laughs> so you guys were like keeping it secret, like right towards the end? Or did Todd yeah, just I don't like.
3: Yeah, I don't know why the fuck we did that. You totally, yeah, man, we did that. Then huh. those, guys, those guys came to my wedding, man. And me and my wife stayed after at a, at a 1950s trailer park in Bisbee, Arizona. Wow. And uh, yeah, those guys came to Tombstone at the courthouse where Wired Earp and these dudes came from. It was crazy, man. And Moon's mom flew out last minute. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy,
1: really funny. Didn't you? that's really yeah. funny because he was like, "Oh, I had I had a blue hair like a blue mohawk." Yep. Jerry had like a red this. Yep.
3: Yeah, and my mom was bummed, and my mom couldn't make it last. time. My mom still bummed at me 25 years later about that because we didn't give nobody a heads up. Sorry, mom. But
1: this is another we can have a little moon section here because to swing it back to my interview with you in Dan's a fanzine, which has never been <laughs> released by the way, like I have this thing is totally laid out and like cool, and I have no idea why I never put it out, so I think it's kinda I should cool. probably, it's kind of cool I don't know it's kind of cool maybe I should put it out now, right depends if I can get canceled from anything I said in there uh there's a couple <laughs> tough things we'll we'll do a late edit you were a little. I don't think you were quite as diplomatic now as you were back then. It doesn't seem like, (laughs) but one of the questions I asked was, is that your girlfriend on the cover of the seven inch Mm -hmm. and you wrote, yeah, best friends for three years. She's fucking old school Chicago. She's hard, bro. She gets in more fights than I do. I had to go to court with her. She fucking punched some dude in the face coming home one night. (laughs) I'm assuming this was Moon you're referring to here? Yes.
3: Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Who did she punch yeah, in the face she, in the 90s? Just a random thing?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Something happened to her job and somebody threw a drink in her face and she hit him back and then she got arrested. It was crazy, dude.
1: Yeah. I love it. But yeah. Crazy. Funny how you. About, she's still you, a
3: badass. She's still Yeah. A you
1: were ride or die back in 95. So, you're uh, ride
3: or die with her. It's 25 years later. Yes. Crazy. Right.
1: And the last funny thing I need to hear about. Is a time on tour where apparently you stole a tour bus, and somehow inexplicably, Rusty Pistachio knows how to fucking drive a big rig.
3: Yeah, Rusty, Rusty stole, Rusty stole the tour bus on the uh, (laughs) on on the Thirty Seconds to Mars used tour. We got invited to Bam Marjerry's house after the show, and we had just one of the bus drivers that we had had just been fired because he was on something and he swerved us off the road. And Rusty like. Gave him a timeout. Russ like, "Yo, I'm driving to the to the next show." So he ended up he ended up getting put into a hotel to rent to like sleep it off, waiting for a new driver to come. And Rusty decided, "Yeah, we'll just take the bus there." So H2O, the used thirty seconds to Mars, all squeezed on the tour bus. We drove to we drove to Banmart, house for a party, skating, hanging out all night long. The greatest night. Come back, everybody gets off the bus, super happy. We pull up to the uh, hotel. All the drivers in the parking lot with their arms crossed, smoking cigarettes, waiting for Rusty. Oh. They were gonna call. They were, they were gonna call the cops on him and like say the bus was stolen. But we worked it out. But yeah, Rusty fucking can drive. Rusty can do a rescue Maryland. Rusty can drive a track. One time at this festival in Europe in '95, Rusty t- stole like a gigantic tractor at a festival in the mud, and <laughs> me and Siv and all of us jumped on the back, uh, and Rusty was driving us through like a fucking muddy wow. festival field with this fucking tractor. It was incredible, man. So did he have
1: did he have jobs like that? Like driving trucks yeah. or something? Yeah. yeah,
3: driving trucks doing Rusty could do anything, man. He Rusty like Rusty could like build a whole venue if we got there and it wasn't good enough. Rusty could like build us a stage out of a tree. He could do anything, man. Rusty yeah. was our savior. He would drive the van through hurricanes and tornadoes and blizzards. We were not scared. Like Rusty was he Rusty was our superhero, dude.
1: Like the guiding light. <laughs> That's so cool, man. I mean Rusty's been shot
3: with a twelve gig shotgun and survived, so he's like yeah, He's always been, he's always been invincible to me.
1: If you even just like, if you didn't even tell me who the person was and you're like, this person has been shot and survived, can drive big rigs and knows how to make beautiful handcrafted jewelry. <laughs> if you told me that yeah. person existed, I'd be like, that should be president of the United States, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so he's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. And Rusty too. I mean, like, I remember hearing that story years ago that he'd been shot, and it was shocking to me because I was like, that is like the sweetest guy. Like he's never been anything but like super gentle and sweet, like every time I met him, you know? Amazing. All right. So this one, you you need to help me and Scott Vogel settle something here. So we've been talking for a while on who is the best guitarless front person in hardcore. Jesus, bro. I'm talking back then, now, or maybe let's do a historical and contemporary. So, who are the best historically, and who's the best now?
3: Man, man. you can't say one, yourself. Man.
1: Can't say yourself.
3: No, never, never, never. Ah, <laughs> um, oh, man. Lo- I mean, back then, I I love Freddie Madball, and I still think he's one of the most powerful. Yeah. Uh, front-, front men. Yes. Um. Uh man, so many freaking I love Jimmy Gestapo, man. He's a great front man as
1: well. He's like yeah. he's like a he's like a comedian. He, he's, Maybe, a, he's yeah. like a might be best stage a, banter of all time there.
3: Yeah, really fun. Super fun. always a party. Um man, let me think. I'm thinking some more because this is I also love Oh also I, I mean HR from the Bad Brains, bro. What are you oh. talking about? Yeah, okay. Okay, HR from the Bad Brains. Oh my God! Is
1: H is he just in like another class? Like he's like Michael Jordan, and then the rest of the conversations below it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would. Yeah, he's he, he's 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 one of the greatest Um hands down. But we'll move to the later generation, I guess we're talking about, right? So like, um, man, I mean, I, I love Ian McKay, Obviously, I mean, Fergazi, who I got to see, I got to see Embrace, incredible. That's cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, in new in the New York Harker scene. God, there's so many, man. Oh man, I, I, I mean, as far as like energy, performance, uh, professional sounding, yeah, I, I got I to gotta put Freddie Madball up there, man. Um,
1: I think you saw. I think you solved it then, because me and Scott also landed on Freddie Madball. So, okay. Because okay. I think I think you watch his style, and I think a it's just like. You know, some hardcore. You can like look foolish singing hardcore yeah. songs, and he just looks so cool. Like he yeah. manages to just look so cool with the bounce and in then the groove. Was, every
3: everything, yeah, yeah,
1: in the groove, and then he has that arm pull back, like he's like he's uh, starting a lawnmower. You yeah, know? like that that cool yeah. thing. So, is there anybody uh, recently and mm. like the la- you know contemporary hardcore singers that are mm. standing out to you?
3: Did I like newer bands and stuff? Yeah. Um. Man, between what since then and then. I mean, I mean, I love I love Turnstile. Man, I love oh, their energy. I like their music. Such a
1: good band,
3: yeah. They, they, they go off. The singer's got a great vibe. Yep. Um. I, I would say that that's that's like one of the I guess newer bands that I've loved. I, back then too, though, I loved cure Idols too.
1: Oh um, yeah.
3: Yep. Yep. Been, it's been it's been a long time, but maybe like in the most current is Turnstile. I've seen them perform. It's a crazy energy. It's a it's a it's a vibe. I, I love the music. I love I just love everything about that band. I think they're awesome, and they have such a great um, sound from all types of inspirations. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's probably like the only something because I I, I I listen. To, I'm not really listening to a lot of. I listen to like a lot of my. I listen to Coldplay a lot. I keep one hundred. I listen to a lot of hip uh, <laughs> Coldplay. Yeah. I, I I try to keep up on what's happening. But, like, um, I'm definitely in my own world of music when I go hiking and working out and stuff like that. No, I'm with you. I'm with you.
1: I try. Listen, I try. I'm not going to be the self-righteous old man who's saying that it doesn't exist and my time is better or something like that. hardcore is alive and well. There's
3: been so many great bands and generations of bands since my band started. There's a a whole new – it's great. It's beautiful. There's so many great bands. But we're not going to front
1: and pretend to be super connected, right? That's how you age gracefully, isn't it? Yeah, I try, I
3: try to keep my ear to the street and hear different things and keep my eye on things and listen to things. And me and Adam talk about a lot of bands, and I talk to... Yeah, like, I'm trying to stay in the mix on stuff. I'm not going to... And I love it, and I embrace it. And and I, I had my time and my period of stuff growing what I grew up on. and every, Same with hip-hop. Like, my son listened to hip-hop that I wouldn't particularly like, but he loves it. And that yeah. and that's his generation. That's his time, and I respect it. But I know the roots of it. He knows the roots of it as well, where it comes from. And everything changes for a reason. And... Uh, yeah, I, I love
1: the journey of all the music, you know, for awesome. sure. So, yeah, I've had you for a long time, Toby. I want to keep you much longer. I've just been asking people towards the end of these episodes, you know, we haven't talked about the fact that we are still basically in the pandemic. A lot of people are still locked up and depressed, and you're good at making people feel better. So what's something, uh, say tomorrow somebody wakes up on the the wrong side of the bed, Things aren't feeling right. They're depressed about what's going on. What are some good tools that someone can have in their toolbox to to get through that day?
3: I mean, for for me, my my thing is my thing is exercise and and eating well and um, listening to good music and going outside, getting vitamin D, and you know. It's about taking care of your body, your mind, body, your soul. It's, it's right. so fucking important. Your immune system, everything. Just take, take your vitamins, eat your greens. That's not like an old dude, but my mom was, I was like, eat your vegetables, eat your vegetables. Like I fucking hated all that shit. But now <laughs> throughout my life, I understand that. Cause I, I've been like this since 88, like not eating animals. And so for me, it's, you don't have to be vegan, but I'm saying be constantly putting in your body because that affects your mind and your mental state of the day. Mm-hmm. Like for me coffee wasn't helping with that. So I I can't, I cancel it. Now I'm back on just my water and my greens. I like to go hiking every day. Do do, I try to do a hundred pushups a day? Um, listen to music and and just be out there in the world. I know it's hard, the pandemic, even if you, if you don't have a backyard, like take a walk down the street, just do something, get outside, get some fresh air, do something you love, you know, listen to something you love, talk to somebody you love. And, uh, it's super important. It's so hard because there's no human contact, but yeah. for many, for many years now, it's almost been like that where people only checking on people through the internet, how they're doing. They're not really texting them because they, Oh, right. I saw you doing good. You, you look healthy. You're on a hike, but, right. but how am I meant to, how am I mentally You're reaching out to me about that? So I feel like I almost feel like the pandemic in a sense made people reach out to people more like mm. calling them on the phone and FaceTiming and yeah. actually getting deeper in their lives off the internet. Um, At the same time, the internet kept people so connected, what was happening in the world. But at some points during it, it was overwhelming. It was just like, it was just hitting me over the head like fucking 20 times, 20, I feel the internet magnified everything fucking 20 million times more. And so I try to, it's hard because I do my business and promote and, and try to inspire and be myself and try to stay on social and stay connected. If I have a show or merchandise or something, I'm helping my friends promote but it is good to stay off your phone for a little while. Even if you go for a hike, put your phone in your pocket, listen to music or a podcast and just get a, and just escape and just be in your own little fucking world. Cause I do tend to stay in my little PMI PMA uh, world and keep my blinders on and just try to think the whole world's wonderful and everything's positive. I know it's, not, I know it's not, but I try to, I try to like, I, I really believe that uh, the world can be something wonderful. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you're waking up, I I don't wake up every day like, what? Life's wonderful. Ooh, <laughs> right. I'm going to skip through my backyard. Everything's great. Like <laughs> I go through it too, man. Like yeah. I fucking, I let the world beat on me. Even if you're healthy and happy and doing what you love with your family, there's still people suffering and the world is fucked up and there's all kinds of things going on. Like sure. that beat that, that fucking beats on your mind. So it's like, it's a struggle for me as well. I'm not a perfect person and right? I'm not always happy, but like, But when I'm feeling that I go and do something to make myself feel better. And for me, that's exercise and eating well and listening to music. And, you know, now I can get out more and see friends, you know, be safe and see your friends. And so it's like, all that shit's important, man. It's, it's as easy as just like, Hey, instead of having that, I'm going to have this, I'm going to listen to that instead of this, or I'm going to call this person not that person. Like you just gotta, you gotta push through man because it wasn't crazy last year. And, um, I feel like there is a light at the end of the tunnel and things are happening and the world's slowly opening and we'll get back to it and just trying to stay positive man it's like it's a struggle but um I feel like there's a lot to be happy about a lot a lot of things to be happy on this planet for um and uh we can all make it better together so I just try to think like that and listen to positive things and surround myself with those type of people and
1: just keep it moving but it's a struggle sure. I'm not
3: perfect so well I, I love it
1: if I got off 90 minutes of talking to you without the PMA. That means I failed. So <laughs> I got it. And I appreciate you. And thanks, Toby. Yeah, I man. appreciate you taking all this time on a Monday, man. It was fun. No, I really appreciate you guys having me
3: on. And um, I-, I appreciate what you've done in music. We we came a long way. I, mean, I met you when you were a kid. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you opened the doors for us in Jersey. And I'm happy with all your success with Gaslight Anthem and everything you've been doing. I saw you grow into the person you are and... It's awesome, man.
1: And we're still connected. It's beautiful, man. It is. Well, thanks, Toby. I'll talk to you soon, man. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for having me, Brad. Thanks, Toby. It's good to hear from you. Hey, Brad. Yeah. That was fun. Nice one. I know. I know you enjoyed that. I did. I've been hoping to do that for a while and go down memory lane with Toby Morris.
2: (laughs) That was, it was pretty good. You really opened up some, opened up some old memories there. Yeah. I love the baby Benny stories, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sweet little kid. Sweet little kid. He said, I was texting with him. I said, I have lots more questions that we didn't get to. So uh, we could, we could potentially do a part two with Toby if we'd like. I just wish you had that recording, dude. Oh, I know. I not give anything for that. You know, <laughs> I throw nothing away. So the idea, you know, that I I did it on one of those little dictaphones with the mini cassettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) So the idea that I still have the dictaphone or the actual mini cassette is like possible because that is the type of thing that I would never throw away. The same as I never threw away this completed zine I never put out. Um, So the audio, ah, man... I mean, it might be in existence somewhere, but uh, god. I, if you ever come across it, you got to get it to me and I'll get it ripped. To, but this is profile. like a completely laid out fanzine. I, I have no idea why I didn't put it out. <laughs> I must have spent so much time putting this together uh, and, and I never put it out. Should I put it out now? Yeah, you should put it out. Should we do a going off track release of this fanzine? Sure, man. We'll brand it. Danza fanzine and spiritual guidebook. <laughs> Put it out in PDF form, print it, print it yourself. I had a real thing for Tony Danza at that time. I don't know what it was. It was like, apparently <laughs> it, it was like one of those like, uh, ironic things. Like I wasn't supposed yeah. to like Tony Danza and he was kind of this outlandish character that
2: maybe you were trying to pretend to be ironic and you really, you really loved him. I mean, what's not to like about that guy,
1: you know, yeah, right? who's the boss fan. Yeah. I like Tony Danza. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it was cause somewhere around that time he did tony singing danza mm, is his. don't remember that yeah he did like a stage uh some state entry into stage life where he tried to be a stage performer i don't think it. he lost some cred <laughs> i think so <laughs> i don't think he did much after that um but yeah this was this was such a fun interview man i i uh i didn't get into to, to so many different things and so many weird stories about seeing H2O in crazy places and even going to Toby's. I think it was his 26th birthday show at, uh, at Coney Island High with Crown of Thorns. And I watched uh, Jimmy G and EZAC put do a number on somebody at that show, which was <laughs> the first time I was like, oh, OK, really don't mess with these guys. <laughs> come to these shows, be friendly and never get violent. Cause that ain't for you kid. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah it just, just a, a bevy of a bevy of memories and stories that came from this. Um, so I, I had a blast. I, I truly did. I'd love to talk to Toby again sometime.
2: He's got plenty to talk about. We could definitely do another <laughs> That's one. That's true. Um, and <laughs> as a testament to that, you can check out Toby's podcast, mm-hmm. one life, one chance, which they tend to run longer than this one. So even longer than ours. He does talk, he has stuff to say, and he gets guests that do as well. Um, but yeah, he's got some great guests. Check that out. You can catch his socials at Toby Morse, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, you know, listen to H2O on
1: your music player. You should always listen to H2O, it makes you feel good. Hell yeah. And big shout out to Todd Friend. You know, yeah. <laughs> for real, like that guy has been the sweetest dude since I was a little kid. And the idea that I've known him since I was like 16 and just casually found out yesterday that like he opened for Scream in 1986. at like a skate park in Virginia, like like he's one of those people you got to like you got to get those stories out of. And those are the people I respect the most, you know? Uh, Great drummers, solid dude. And as Toby mentioned, just a perfect haircut for (laughs) this whole time. H2O and Sick of It All and that whole crew literally invented perfect haircuts in hardcore. Like, you got to give them credit for that. That's their thing. I hadn't realized it until Maddie told us about the Goodfellas thing for Sick of It All. And it's so true. They just look great. And I give him credit for that because I've always been the absolute opposite hardcore kid. Um, <laughs> you know, I shaved my own head for close to a decade. So never, <laughs> so I respect the great hair, but anyway, let's get out of here. Thanks for listening to going off track. You are valued. You are appreciated. And if I ever see you in person, I may cover you in hot oils and jump on a slip and slide.